Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Today's message is part of our series, Christian. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher. Well, y'all are a fun-looking group of people this morning. <laughs> hey, uh, so so grateful that, uh, as Aaron said earlier, that you decided to get up this morning, even though last night, um, for whatever reason, our culture has decided once a year to steal an hour away from us. I saw on uh, Facebook this morning, someone posted a picture. Uh, any, any Princess Bride fans in the room this morning? Like, you watch... I remember growing up as a kid, every time I was um, sick and I stayed home from school, for whatever reason, on television, they were showing that movie. And so that is the laying in the bed, sick uh, movie. And I saw somebody post a picture. Uh, you remember um, when, what's his name? The uh, Wesley. Yeah, when he's, when, they're, when he's in like the death machine and they're sucking the life out of him and, and they do that. I saw somebody post a picture that said... Um, you know, we have just sucked one hour out of your life. And it was that, 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 that Prince King guy. It was funny. Anyway, uh, again, thank you for, for being here this morning. Welcome. We hope you have a great time today. We're in the middle of a series called Christian. Uh, this is now week five. Some people are wondering, how long is this thing going to go? Uh, we're on week five. We're actually going seven weeks. And so uh, you don't want to miss the next two weeks. You don't really don't want to miss next week because not only is it St. Patrick's Day, but we have something fun uh, to kick off our uh, worship experience next week. So that's a little plug. You want to be here. You also may want to invite somebody, uh, particularly if they like St. Patrick um, or if they're Irish or if they're just a person. <laughs> if, they, if their heart's beating and they have blood in their body, even if it's like your dog, we'll count your dog too. It's cool. Um, as long as it's like a CNI dog. Don't just like bring... Anyway... Let's actually jump into this because we got a lot of ground to cover this morning. Uh, we've been in a series called Christian. We're talking about the difference between Christian, which is a word that the New Testament doesn't define. Uh, it's a word that Jesus doesn't use. It's a word that uh, when you look throughout the New Testament, throughout Scripture, you only see used three times, and each time it's a derogatory way, as if uh, someone is saying, look at those Christians. Uh, it's used by outsiders, but there was a term that Jesus and his disciples used to talk about themselves, and it was disciples. I already said that. They used the word disciple, and we've said over the last few weeks that that's a really, really defined word, and it's a little intimidating because it's so clearly presented exactly what is a disciple in the New Testament. And we've been reviewing this verse over and over again pretty much every time we start, Jesus laid out for his followers, here's what the one thing that should characterize your life as a follower, as a disciple. He says this in John 13, verse 35. Uh, he says, by this, all men and women will know that you are my disciples. Again, he uses that word because that's what he called them. And he says, here's how they're going to know if you love one another. And for the last four or five weeks now, we've been looking at what is that mean? What does it mean to love one another? What does it mean to love each other? What does it mean to love people on the outside? What does it mean to, to love and yet have truth? How, what, is, what is the relationship between grace and truth? We've looked at those things and today I want to take us to a place in scripture where Jesus is actually teaching this, but he doesn't teach it in a straightforward, direct kind of manner because that would be Really, that would be beneath the master teacher of all teachers. He's going to teach it in such a way that you don't even realize what he's doing until he 
hits us with the, 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 the end and, and we're all just kind of left standing there going, what is he talking about? It's a very familiar passage. If you have a Bible with you, you can open it up to Luke chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we couldn't print, we're going to read the whole chapter, or at least kind of paraphrase. So we couldn't print it all on the back of your program. We printed some of the verses. Most of the verses will be on the screen behind us. And if you have a smartphone with you uh, or a tablet with you, then you can follow along on the Bible app, which is the official app of the Bible mini-series, which is on the History Channel. Anybody watch the Bible last week? I watched it. It was good. Some people on Facebook, they were really like upset about it. Because, listen, if you, if you were upset about how they portrayed the movie, think about this. They went from the beginning of time to Joshua in two hours. Now, you think about that, okay? Before we start like, oh, they skipped this. Well, yeah, they had to skip something, of course. They went from the beginning of time to uh, what, like 1,300 years ago. That's a long bit of, that's a lot for two hours. So anyway, uh, the Bible app, you can follow along. If you do a search in the, under the live link for the word vertical, you can find the whole passage of Scripture and a place to take notes. And you can even share it on your social media. Well, this is a very familiar passage. If you've been in and around church long enough, you've probably heard somebody talk about Luke chapter 15. People, I mean, people preach it all the time. If you can't preach Luke chapter 15, then you need to like hang up the microphone because, I mean, it's just there for you and, and it's just laid out. And people take all sorts of different perspectives. Some people take the perspective of this character and that character and, and this angle and that angle. Today, I want to take an angle, a perspective that, quite honestly, I'm not sure that I've ever heard anybody. I'm sure somebody's done it, but I've never heard anybody do it this way. I've never done it this way. I've been preaching now for 16, 17 years, and I've never looked at it from the perspective that we're going to look at it from. We're going to look at it because Jesus is teaching an audience. We're going to look at it from their perspective, the audience perspective, because it's really interesting who's listening to Jesus teach this. There's two very, very different groups of people. There's there's group A, and they're, the, they're kind of the alienated, outcast people. They're, they're, they know they're never going to be approved of, never going to be accepted, and, and they're there listening. And then there's group B, and group B, they're the, they're the holy people. They're the church people. They're the, they're the, they're the people who not, they don't worry about being accepted or approved because they're assuming they're already approved because of how they live their life. And what we discover is that Jesus does this teaching and he basically says, you're both wrong. Both groups are wrong. But Jesus doesn't address that tension between the two groups. He actually, um, he doesn't address it directly because it's a very emotional issue. And when you deal with emotional, tense issues, you've got to come at it in a unique way. Way. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 15 to, to kind of discover these groups of people. Verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Now I find that very interesting. We're going to talk about tax collectors and sinners here in just a second. But they were gathering around. I find that incredibly intriguing. Now, we've mentioned what a tax collector was. A tax collector 
was hated in their culture, more so than in our culture. I mean, they were despised. They were so despised, they had their own class of sinner. You had the sinners, and then you had a specialized group that were worse than everybody else because they were traitors. They were the tax gatherers, the tax collectors. And both of these groups of people, the tax collectors and the sinners, they knew that, that they were not accepted because of their lifestyle, because of their occupation, because of their ethics, because of their morality. They knew that in the Jewish culture, they were not approved of because of either what they did for a living or the kind of life they lived or, or whatever. They knew that they were not approved. And I find it incredibly odd that the worst of the worst gathered to hear Jesus talk to hear him teach, to hear him preach, because it's so different than today, right? Today, when you think of church and you think of people coming to church, sitting on the front rows, well, that's the really religious people, the really righteous people, the really good people, the really holy people. They're the ones who get there early and get a front seat and, and hang on. That's for good people. Church is for good people. But yet when we see Jesus teaching and preaching, it says that the very first group of people that we're going to mention that were there, the people who showed up early, the people who, who got the front row seat, it was the sinners and tax collectors, the people who weren't supposed to be there, were there. And, and here's what I'm convinced of. Here's what I've been praying. In case you're wondering what Pastor Josh prays over our church, I pray that this verse is realized here at our church. I pray that we're unlike any other church in the area, that we're a church where on the front row, getting there early because of what God is doing, because of the Spirit of God moving in us and around us, that they're there and they're, they're longing to hear, not from me, not from a, a worship band, they're longing to hear from Jesus. They're longing to hear His Word and His speaking, His teaching in their life. And I believe when we get it right, when we get this 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 deal of being a disciple right. I believe that's what we see. I believe that's what we experience. We experience the worst of the worst of society coming and sitting on the front rows, although they might not sit on the front rows in the theater, because that's really odd, right? Like they're playing, like, all right, come on. It's awkward. So they might not sit there because people don't sit there, but on the third row, fourth row, that'd be great. And I think we'll experience that when we get it Right, but look at this, they're not the only people that are there. Verse 2, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, that's group B. So group A, we've got the sinners and the tax collectors. Group B, we've got the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And look at what they're saying. They're muttering, complaining, arguing. And here's what they're saying. This man, talking about Jesus, welcomes as in embraces, as in, hey, come and I'll save a seat for you, as in, hey, when you come, why don't you and I go get lunch afterwards? This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So think about this picture. On the front rows, you have the worst of the worst, and on the back rows in the balcony, and no offense if you're sitting on the back row, back row or want to sit in the balcony, um, you've got the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The people who are supposed to know all the ins and outs of this thing, they're sitting back there and they're complaining. They couldn't figure out why people who looked nothing like Jesus liked 
Jesus. And what really perplexed them was that Jesus, who looked nothing like them, seemed to like them. They, they couldn't wrap their minds around this. It was perplexing. Jesus had nothing in common with these people. Matter of fact, he had more in common with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He had more in common with their culture, their theology, their way of life. He had more in common with them, but when he attracted a crowd, when he drew people to him, it was sinners and tax collectors. He attracted a group that was nothing like him, and they liked him. And the Pharisees and teachers of law couldn't figure this out. It was totally blowing their minds. So can you see the kind of tension that that might cause in the audience? You've got people who are not supposed to be there, and they're still in all the good seats and all the good parking spots. And they're taking the pastor's time afterwards. They're the, they're the ones who are gathered around asking questions. Wanting, and, and the good church people, they don't have time to talk to Jesus. Can you see the tension that that would create in the audience? They're sitting, maybe, maybe they're sitting beside each other and they're rubbing shoulders with each other and they're giving each other dirty looks. Can you feel the tension between these two groups? Well, look what Jesus does. Verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. He wants to address this emotional, tense issue of, of being accepted and not being accepted and approved and not approved and all of that. He wants to address this to give them the, the proper perspective of how God views everybody, but he doesn't address it head on. He tells them a parable. Now, if you're not familiar with what a parable is, a parable is basically a short story. It's not necessarily true. It didn't necessarily happen. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. We don't know. Typically, it was just a short story that, that the teacher would use to get the audience to a place where they could see something that's very emotional, very difficult to understand. They could see it from a fresh perspective. It's a way of teaching that, um, that attempts to get the audience all on the same page so that they can see things new and fresh. So he does this. He's going to do his teaching and, and he starts. Um, verse, verse 4. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. So right off the bat, he starts with this common emotion of loss. Loss. Everybody's experienced loss. Everybody knows what that's like. And in this culture, in this society, with all the agrarian uh, agrarianness of their culture, they know what this is like. You're talking to people who have sheep. You're talking to people whose brothers are shepherds. Who's, who's, whose uncle has a... You're talking to people who know what this is like. And so when Jesus says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one, they're all thinking, sinners and Pharisees are both thinking, yeah, I know what that's like. I remember. I remember as a kid when dad lost a, lost a, a bunch of sheep. Man, it was a tough, it was a scary time. And look what he says. He goes on, he says, does he not leave the 99 in the open country? And go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And everybody in the whole crowd's going, yeah, that's exactly what I would do. That's exactly what I would do. Yeah, yeah. And so for the first time, maybe ever, sinners and teachers of the law are both sitting there nodding their head. Yeah. And they're getting a little weirded out. They're thinking, I've never agreed with them before, but yeah, I, I would do that. That makes sense. And Jesus goes on. He says, he says, and when he finds it, 
He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and, and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. And they're all thinking, the whole audience is thinking, That's exactly right. That's what I would do. Exactly. I remember that time when I was a kid and dad lost the sheep and, and, and he found it and he called everybody and said, Yeah, I found my sheep. And we all had a party. I said, yeah. Sinners and tax collectors, Pharisees and teachers of the law, they're all thinking, Yeah, that's what I would do. And before they can even ask a question, like, Jesus, what does this mean? Jesus, Jesus just hits him with this. He says, I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Whoa, what? what? We, we were just talking about sheep. And we were with you, but wait a second. And then Jesus doesn't even let them catch their breath. He goes right in and grabs another group of people. He grabs the women next because maybe they, weren't from, maybe they didn't relate to the sheep, but they'll get this. So he goes after the women, good women and bad women both. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And all the women are going, oh, yeah, you better believe it. The good women are thinking, yeah, that's what I would do. The bad women are thinking, yeah, that's what I would do. And the husbands are thinking, oh, yeah, she'd call me, and I have to come home and move all the furniture out till we found that thing. I remember when she dropped the last one, and, man, it took me all day, and I had to move everything, but we found it. Yeah, I, I remember that. So Jesus... Jesus gets everybody on this same feeling of what is it like to lose something. He picks up on the lost something emotion. Now, we all, can rec we, all, we all can relate to that, right? How many of you have ever lost your keys? Right? It becomes the most important thing you have to do at that moment. I've got to find my keys. I can and you have more passion about finding something that's lost than finding something you've never misplaced before. And that's what Jesus is drawing the audience to agree upon. And both groups are going, yeah, man, when I lose something, I do whatever it takes to find it. And he goes on. And he goes into a story that you've probably heard dozens and dozens of times. We call it the prodigal son story. And this is where I want to spend the majority of our time because this is where Jesus spends the majority of his time. Verse 11, Jesus continues. He says, there was a man who had two sons. And what we discover about Jesus is Jesus is a, is a master of, of birth order theory before there was ever a birth order theory because what we discover is that there's an older son and a younger son, and the older son is a behavior. He's the one who follows directions. He's the one who does all the right things. He's the one who listens. And then there's a younger son who's the misbehavior. Anybody have, anybody have two kids that are pretty close together? You can, you can testify to that. Amen. That's exactly how my family is. That's my family. I got two sons right now, six and almost four. And that describes them to a T. The older one, he's the behavior. Now, sure, he gets out of line sometimes, but he's the one that's interested in what's the rule, what's the direction I got to follow. But the younger one, he wants to know what the rule is so he can break it. What's the rule? Okay, I'll do the opposite. And so Jesus picks up on this, and they're all thinking, the whole audience is thinking, oh yeah, me and my brother, that describes us exactly. And he goes on to, to basically, basically describe what this, what this son does. In, in modern day, kind of our language, the younger son goes to his dad and he says, Dad, I wish you would die. 
I wish you would die so I could go ahead and get my inheritance. Matter of fact, Dad, why don't you just pretend to be dead so I can go ahead and get my take now? Well, the whole audience, they're just flabbergasted that this son would do that to his dad. They were so offended because for a younger son to tell his dad, Dad, I wish you were dead. I mean, even now today, if you told your dad that, they're like, what? <laughs> so the offense in the, in the group, man, in the, the offense in those that Jesus is teaching, you could feel the tension and the, and the anger that begins to bubble up as they're thinking about the audacity of this younger son to humiliate his father this way, Pharisees, tax collectors, sinners and teachers of the law, they all felt the same way. No son does that. And so the story goes on. The father either liquidates some of his stuff or, 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 or divides it up. However he does it, the father grants the younger son his request. He gives them half. He gives him half of what he owns. And the people in the audience, they're thinking, What? And no, nobody was talking or, or, or even moving around. You could have heard a pin drop. Everybody's thinking, whoa, that's... Whew. And then the son hangs around maybe for a few days or weeks, but then he decides, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move out. I've got to get out of here. So either he sells it all and gets the money or he packs it all up. But whatever he does, he gathers it all together and he moves to a distant country. And he buys into a lifestyle that he can't afford for very long. And what took his dad a lifetime to amass and to gain, this son, this younger son, blows it all in a matter of days or weeks, months. We don't know, but we know that he lived in such a way that he couldn't afford it. And eventually he used up all that his father had worked so hard to acquire, and you could feel the anger bubbling to the surface. People are starting to make comments in the crowd. I can't believe that. If I had a son like that, I know what I'd do. I'd find him and I'd wear his bottom out. No son does that. And the people are so offended and so angry with this boy. But then Jesus says, I tell you what, it even got worse for him because a famine came to the land. And it, and it got so bad that the young man needed to find a job. And the only job he could find was taking care and feeding pigs. Now the audience is tracking with Jesus because they're thinking, yeah, he's going to get what's coming to him. Now he's with the pigs. He's got to feed the pigs. And there's nothing worse for a young Jewish boy to have to deal with pigs all day. And so the whole crowd, sinners, tax collectors, Pharisees, uh, teachers of the law, they're all thinking, yes, he's finally getting what he deserves. That's what he deserves, time with the pigs. And Jesus says it even gets even worse for this young boy because he's so hungry that he longs to eat what he's feeding the pigs. Well, now the excitement, what was anger and offense is now turned to excitement in the, in the audience because they're like, yes, the ultimate disgrace. This young Jewish boy wants to eat pig slop. That's exactly what he deserves for humiliating his father that way. He deserves everything that he's getting. And if Jesus would have stopped there, sinners, 
and Pharisees, tax collectors and teachers of the law, they would have all stood and given Jesus a round of applause because that's how you tell a story. And that's how you end a story with the young son getting exactly what he deserves. You reap what you sow. What goes around comes around. Amen, Jesus. We're with you, the whole bunch of us. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He keeps on going. Verse 17, he says this. When he came to his senses, and we don't know how long it took, but eventually got it through his thick head. That's what that means. It got through his thick skull. He said to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go out, I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, he, he worked up a speech. He, you know how you get in that situation and you think, I've got to work up what I'm going to say before I get there so I don't say the wrong thing? Sounds stupid. This is what he's doing. He's working up a speech in his head. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Look, look, this boy knew who he was. It's not like he's saying, Father, I made a mistake. It was an accident. I'm sorry, Dad. It was an accident for me to do that. No, no, no. He says, look, Dad, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. He knew exactly who he was. And look what he says. He says, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The audience is thinking, that's right. You're not worthy to be called his son. You humiliated that man, and you've wasted everything that he gave you. And so they started thinking, oh, now he's going to go back to his dad. This is getting even better. Because now not only has he experienced humiliation, but now dad's got the chance to drop the hammer because dad's going to lay him out. Dad's going to, dad's going to right the wrong because dad's going to take care of business. He's going to get, really, really get what's coming to him. And everybody in the audience, even sinners knew what this boy deserved. So verse 20 says, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with... Well, what do you think he's filled with? Now the audience, they would have thought, oh, there's only one thing you can be filled with if you experience this level of disgrace and this level of humiliation and this level of offense. Anger. That's what, that's what I would be filled with is anger. How dare you humiliate your father that way? How dare you disgrace him that way? Anger is what you're supposed to feel when you've been taken advantage of. Matter of fact, this is the only emotion you can feel when this has happened to you. Look what Jesus says. He says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Compassion? Really? compassion after after everything he did jesus this is not wait a second wait a second compassion is this the same story because that's not what we would feel we're we're fathers we have kids we know what we would feel we'd be angry compassion and look jesus doesn't even stop there he says he'd be filled with compassion for him he ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him, pig slop and all. 
Here comes, just picture this, here comes the son covered in the pig mess because he doesn't, doesn't have money to go take a shower. He can't get cleaned up. And here, here he comes walking and the father sees him and he's filled with compassion and he runs out and he throws his arms around his boy and he hugs him and the father gets covered in all the mess that the son is covered on and he kisses his cheek, the cheek that's covered with pig slop. whole audience is thinking, what? Jesus, this is confusing. This is, this is supposed to end with the sinner, the humiliator, the disgracer getting what they deserve. No, 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 nobody disagreed with that. Sinners knew. Sinners knew, hey, I'm a sinner. I'm not approved of. I've got to live it up now, party it up now, enjoy my sin now, because if there is a God and he's going to judge me, I'm going to get it in the end. And so I've got to live it up now. And the, and the righteous people, they thought, hey, I'm good, I'm approved, I'm standing, and they're going to get what they deserve. Nobody disagreed with this. Tax collectors knew they were sinners. Sinners knew they were sinners and that they weren't going to be accepted. And so everybody is perplexed. Jesus, wait a second. We thought the Father was God. <laughs> we thought the Father was God and that God was going to give the Son what He deserved and this is embarrassing because this doesn't make sense. The father would embarrass himself that way and humiliate himself. Jesus, wait a second. And Jesus doesn't even give him time to breathe. He goes right on, verse 21. The son said to him, so he starts the speech that he had prepared, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And notice the father doesn't jump in there and say, oh no, boy. You're fine. Don't worry about that. Here's a get out of jail free card. No, no, no. The father doesn't do that. The father says this, verse 22. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. You know what bothers me about this verse? The word quick. It bugs me. Because this is not how we operate in church. Because the way we operate in church is when somebody repents... We take a step back and we say, well, let's just see how long this lasts. Yeah, 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 they love Jesus now. But we've seen this before. Let's give it some time. Let's see if they really repented. But no, 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 the father says, quick, my son is going to be my son. I don't care that he's not worthy to be my son. He's my son. And so look what he goes on and he says. He says, verse 23, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. He says, look, we've been saving up this, this calf for, for a long time for a celebration. It's time to celebrate. Verse 24, and here's why it's time to celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The whole audience is messed up at this point. And Jesus, you ruined a perfectly good story. And so often in church, we stop the story there. We talk about God's compassion and we talk about God's love. But Jesus doesn't stop the story. He goes on. He goes on because he says, the father, don't forget, the father had two sons. 
And the older son was, was out working the whole time and he didn't know all of this is going on. And so when he's finishing up the day, when he's coming back in to, to, to the house, when he's coming back in to the village, he sees the dancing and the dust and he hears the music and he's thinking, what in the world? Why are they, why are they partying? Why are they having a big celebration? What's going on? So, so he sees us, so he's, come here, what's going on? And they say, oh, your brother came back home brother came back home yeah yeah your brother's back and your dad you remember that calf we've been fattening up for months now your dad killed it and he's having a big party and he wants you to get cleaned up and he wants you to come in and celebrate with him and he's thinking wait that was i i, I thought that was for me i thought dad was saving that for me this isn't right my brother disgraced him my brother humiliated him look how he responds verse 28 the older brother became angry and refused to go in. And at this point, the whole audience is thinking, oh, okay, Jesus, we see where you're going with this. The older brother, he's the one that's going to straighten all this out. Okay, we're backtracking with you now. We finally got somebody with some sense. The older brother's going to take care of this. Okay, now, all right, if I'm an older brother, my younger brother, that's how I feel. Okay. Now, we're, we're, we're with you, Jesus. Angry. There we go. We finally got our anger. You ever met an angry Christian? <laughs> angry nun, angry pastor, angry TV preacher, you know? Somebody that's so angry, not only do they believe in hell, but they're looking forward to people going there. Maybe you left church because you were tired of angry Christians who are known more for what they were against than what they were for, angry. Like you're thinking, did anybody ever sing Jesus loves them to these people? <laughs> they ever heard Jesus loves you? That's not it, right? Why are you so mad? Picture this. Picture this party, okay? On one side of the party, there's the younger son who's so distraught that he's not worthy to be there, he doesn't want to be there. He's not worthy to be his son. He doesn't, he's so sure of his unacceptedness that he knows he wouldn't be invited to the party. And on the other side of the party, you have the older son who's so sure of his brother's unacceptableness that he doesn't want to go in. So here in the middle, in, in the party, you've got the dad who's thrown a party and neither one of his boys want to come. And the dad's just saying, I, I just want to be with my sons. I just, I just want both of you to be here. Dad just wants to celebrate, and neither one of his boys want to go. And the whole audience, now they're thinking, ah. Oh. Verse 29, but he answers his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat. <laughs> Whatever it takes to party, you know. <laughs> well, you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, prostitutes, dad, prostitutes. He wasted your life savings on prostitutes. Look, he says, when he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And you know why some of you are so angry? 
You're so angry because you think that you deserve something that God's going to give somebody else. And you're so angry because you go to the Father and you say, Father, I'm so faithful, I'm so obedient, I tithe, I give in the special offering, and the holier you get, the angrier you become. We wish the story ended with the pigs, because that's what he deserved. It's not fair, Dad. They didn't even get a goat. And you've given him the calf. Look how the father responds to his son. Verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. He says, look, son, you're with me. And I want you to understand that that's the thing I value the most. You're with me. You're with me. Look, son, I'm not going to re-split up everything. Everything I have is yours. You're going to get your reward. You're going to get everything that you've worked so hard to achieve and to earn. You're going to get it. But he says in verse 32, but we had to celebrate and be glad. Why? Why did we have to celebrate? Because this brother of yours was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and is found. Look, 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 son, your brother was not with us. And now he's with us. That's what I value the most. And I need you to come in and celebrate, not because he's not getting what he deserves. Look, son, you think this has been about performance. This isn't about performance. This is about proximity. The thing that I value the most is that My sons would be with me. He's back and you've never left. And that's why I want to celebrate. Because I'm finally with my sons. See, we thought this story was about us. It's not. This story's about God. This is a story about God wanting to be with his children. Here's the truth about God the Father. God could not love you anymore. And nothing you do will cause him to love you less. God could not love you any more than he does right now. And nothing that you will ever, ever do will cause him to love you less. This is true about you, and it's also true about everyone you're ever eyeball to eyeball with. Because God doesn't get mad at lost things. And neither do you. When I lose my phone and I misplace it and I don't know where it's at, I'm not mad at my phone. It would be ridiculous. I might be mad at myself, but I'm not mad at my phone because we don't get mad at the lost thing. Here's the bottom line. Here's the thing that if you don't remember anything else, here's what I want you to remember. When we understand the heart of God for his children, that he wants to be with them. Sin will always break our hearts. And repentance will always stir our hearts. When someone is in sin and living in sin or a whole society is engaged in sin, it won't make us angry. It'll break our hearts. And we'll be filled not with anger, we'll be filled with compassion. And if that doesn't happen, then you've got work to do as a disciple. 
And we won't sit around complaining about how bad sin is and what the Bible says about sin. And as offended as the father was, he never lost his compassion. Because the best parties, the best parties are reserved not for the always faithful, but for those who weren't with and now are with. Those are the best parties. And we as Christians, we don't party very well. We don't celebrate very well. But disciples, disciples know how to party. Let's pray. Lord, we are so, some of us, God, are so uncomfortable (laughs) with this idea. Some of us, we may be as confused as the original audience was. God, I pray that not only would you disturb our unrighteousness out of us, but God, would you also disturb our self-righteousness out of us. God, would you stomp out all of our unrighteousness and all of our self-righteousness. May your church look like you. That's what we pray, God. May your church look like you. You know, while we're praying right now, and everybody with their heads down and their eyes closed, I just want to want to talk to a certain group of you here this morning because some of you, some of you really identify with the the younger son in the story. Maybe you've turned your back on God and you know it. You know it. And there's this issue stirring around in your mind. And you know it. You know it. I want to tell you something. Come on back home. Just just come on back home. God isn't mad at you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what kind of pig slop you've been rolling around in. God isn't mad at you. His compassion has never stopped. His love has never ended. And when you come home, we're not going to hold up all of the the list of all of the things you've done wrong because we're not the older brother. We just want you to be with. That's the kind of church we are. We want you to be with. And we'll celebrate. We'll throw a party. We'll celebrate because you weren't with. (laughs) And today, some of you are going to decide to be with. Listen, this morning, if you're tired of being dead, of feeling the guilt that's been wrapping itself around your heart, and you've tried to medicate it away and it hasn't worked, you've tried to battle it away, it hasn't worked, you've tried to drink it away, lie it away, pretend it away, and nothing's gotten rid of it, I want to tell you something. If you want to experience life, if you want to remove that guilt, come on home. Come back home. Look, here's what you'll find. You'll be welcomed, accepted, loved, because you'll be with. You'll be with. And that's why Jesus came. So this morning, if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I'm going to come back home, 
I just want you to pray this with me. Real, real simple. Say, Father, I've sinned against you. In myself, I'm not worthy to be called your son or to be called your daughter. But I've heard your invitation to come home. I believe in you, Jesus. And I declare that I'm inviting you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sin and welcome me back home. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer, then we believe that God has done something miraculous in your life. He has done something new and He has changed you from the inside out. You might not feel any different. You might feel different. You might have tears in your eyes. You might not have tears in your eyes. But if you prayed that prayer as a response to God, then He has done the miraculous in your heart and He's given you a new heart. He's forgiven all of your guilt and all of your shame and you're getting a brand new start today. Would you do me a favor this morning? On the back of the communication card that's sitting near you, there's a little box that says, send me more information about becoming a follower of Jesus. Would you just check that box? And when the offering comes by here in just a few minutes, drop that in. Put your name on the front, as much information as you feel comfortable, and drop that in. Why? Because we want to celebrate with you. If we don't know, we can't celebrate. We want to know that you've come home. We want to celebrate, just like Dad did when he threw the party. Let's pray one more time. Lord, we love you and we praise you. God, let this be descriptive of our church, that we are a church who just wants people to be with and not not with. Let that be our church. Let us be the, the very embodiment of love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.